Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. We are going to see that God warns us about the enemy. Now, I speak a great deal about the fact that there is an enemy that wants our destruction. When we look at his name, he is called the adversary. And as I have shared, he wants to bring adversity into your life. And if we are not committed to truth, if we do not walk in faith, if we are not desiring obedience to God's revelation, then we are opening up ourselves to the influence, the, the attacks, and the, the harm that that enemy wants to inflict upon us. He is ruthless. He is barbaric. There is nothing that he won't do to accomplish his wicked, evil plans. But it's only through the truth of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, us responding to God's will that is going to give us that victorious experience, not ultimately, but now in this world, that we can walk according to the objectives of God, that we can do his purposes, and we can have a praiseworthy testimony. Well, take out your Bible. And look with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, in this study, we're going to, to only deal with the first five verses of this fourth chapter. We'll complete it, God willing, next week. But I want to take our time. We're not going to spend much time, but I want to go through these verses carefully, slowly, so that we understand what, in fact, Paul is saying to Timothy. Now, Timothy has responsibility. He is a young leader, but he's not a novice. He may be young, but he is mature in the faith. He had much experience serving under the Apostle Paul, being taught by him, being grown up as a man of God, a servant of God. And notice what Paul says to him in this fourth chapter. Let's begin. He says, but the Spirit. Now, that first word that I translated, but, is a conjunction. And it's a conjunction with a contrast. Now, one of the reasons why we know that, that we're beginning a new chapter is because we're dealing with an entirely different issue. And therefore, if we pay attention to the original language, it gives us clues on why sometimes the, the authors of, of a translation makes a new paragraph or makes a new chapter, that is, those who wrote the chapters and verses, because we know that, that historically the scripture 
did not have any type of punctuation, did not have any type of separation even among words. So there was no chapters and verses. All of this was put in by man in order to help us reference scripture and also to bring clarity to the text to separate the words so that we could understand them better. So here we're beginning a new chapter, and the reason is a new subject, and that is pointed out to us by this first conjunction. Now, several Bibles translate it now, and I don't know why, because it's usually translated properly with the word but, because it's speaking about one thing and now something different. Something that is not in the same direction, a new subject. So, but, but the spirit, and then this next, next term, normally it's translated expressively. And it's a word that, that we might be familiar with. It is where we get the Greek word rima. And this is a, another word for the concept of a word. There is a written word. There is an idea, a mindset. And this in, in Greek is, is displayed and referenced by an entirely different Greek word, the word logos. This is a thought. This is like a blueprint, a plan, something written down. But the rima is a proclamation that, that, that puts in action what was written down. It takes that, that logical, that, that desire, that blueprint from God, and it speaks it into being. It's very similar to what we see in the book of Genesis, where God says, Vayihi, or let there be light, and there was. So we're speaking about something that is being proclaimed that will come about. And this is what Paul wants Timothy to know. So look again. It says, but in contrast to the qualifications of, of leadership that we concluded with last week in chapter 3, a new subject, but the Spirit expressively says. And this is put emphasis. This word expressively tells us that this is something that we need to be aware of, and that we need to respond in light of. And notice that it's the Spirit. What is the purpose of the Spirit? To bring order, a godly order, into our life. And Paul is conveying to Timothy and to the congregations that are under his leadership that in the, and we'll see this in a moment, we have the phrase, that in the latter times. So it's another expression for the last days. It's speaking about a time of transition. And I believe that there are signs, prophetic indicators, that we are moving close into this time of transition, the latter days. And there's many things that take place. We see that there are those birth pains. There are also... These, these wars that are going to come by, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, variety of different things. And what we need to realize is that all of this is to bring about instability and to bring about confusion. 
And unless you know the truth and you're committed to the truth, you are going to be confused and moved away from where God wants you to be. That's what the adversary, Satan, wants to do. He wants to, through this instability, cause you to panic, cause you to run, cause you to behave in a way that does not reflect the confidence and the truth of God's revelation, and therefore to be moved away from God's provision, his power, his presence, and therefore we fail rather than have that godly testimony. So he says, but the Spirit expressively says that in the latter times, and then we have a, a verb, and this is the word apoistemai. Why is that important? Well, it means to stand from. So stand from is a, a term that we might think of as a departure, a leaving. Now, this is an important word, and it has in times implications. Why? Well, Paul uses this same word, but in a noun form, not like here, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he speaks about some Bibles will say a great falling away. Others will use the, the Greek term that's kind of anglicized with the term apostasy. And this is what he's speaking about when he says there's going to be a departure, a, a moving away. It says here this departure, and this word by and large means this, that we were where one should be, but there was a departure. They moved away from that which is good to that which is not good. So Paul is telling Timothy, realize, and they had a sense of, of imminency in regard to the last days. We all should at all times. But now there's even a greater indicator that we're approaching this transition. So that in the latter times, it says certain ones, I would underscore this. Certain ones, they will depart from the faith. I've made mention to you that the word faith, the term that should come to mind whenever we see this, is truth. Faith is always believing truth. Faith is just not believing something, but believing the truth of God, which is the only truth. So there's coming a time, and this goes right along with this apostasy that Paul mentions in 2 Thessalonians 2, that there's going to be certain ones, which ones? Well, we've studied not too long ago from 1 John, and we see in 1 John, he says that there were those who went out from us, and they did not remain with us, and their departure says something, that they were not of us. And the implication is they were never of us. They were not true believers. And the fact that they were not true believers is manifested through this departure. So this is not people losing their salvation. It's not believers changing their minds about something, but it's a departure of false professors. Those who say, yes, I believe that profess that they have faith, but in actuality, they did not. And their departure from the faith shows that they were never believers. So once again, the Spirit, 
he expressively says that in the latter times, certain ones will depart from the faith. Now we're going to see what is the outcome of a departure from the truth. When I do not walk in truth, and let me share with you, one of the great problems today within the believing community is a lack of respect for the power of God's word, the authority of God's word. In other words, people take scripture too casually. They are careless with the word of God. And that brings about a very negative outcome. And we see what that is. When one departs from the truth, it is an invitation for what? Well, it says here that they are going to give heed, that is, they are going to hold to, they are going to give a place. And the interesting is that they, with their departure, should be thought of as taking hold of, notice what it says, first it says, deceiving spirits. And obviously the context means unclean spirits. So realize something. And we had a lot of response to what I said concerning the role of women as preachers, speaking against that, speaking about other things. Many people didn't like what was said in regard to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and chapter 3. It wasn't what they were experiencing in their local congregation, what they may be affirming or have been taught or believe is proper. Well, you need to really study to be sure. Because if you depart from the truth, it is an invitation you, according to what the text says, when one departs from the truth, this one is taking hold of deceiving, unclean spirits. And when you do this, it is going to impact your perspective. Why do I say that? Well, it also says in this same verse, verse 1, it speaks about that there's going to be teachings of demons. So when one departs from the truth, when you reject what God says, you are inviting deceiving spirits and that you are going to be embracing the doctrines of demons, the teachings that demons would have you implement and apply to your life. This is serious. This is a warning that Paul is giving Timothy to encourage the people to remain faithful to the revelation of God, not to doubt God's word, not to alter God's word, not to reject God's word, because whenever we do not take God's word for what it is, there is going to be a serious implication to that. There is going to be consequences that are beyond you to stand up to. Because when you reject truth, you are hindering the Holy Spirit. Now, many times people write and say, well, how can I hinder the Holy Spirit? I, I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. How can I bring the Spirit of God to, to, to be hindered? It's not speaking about you being more powerful, that you're able to hinder him because of your, your, your physical strength. Nothing could be further from the truth. He's speaking about a law, 
a spiritual law. When I exercise faithlessness, when I depart from the truth, there's a spiritual law that says the Holy Spirit, he's not going to bless that. He's not going to help you. He's not going to do his ministry in your life because you have violated a biblical law, a spiritual law. So it's not that you hinder him physically. The Holy Spirit is evaluating and says, I'm not getting involved in that person's life for that, that purpose, for, for what he's wanting to do, what he is, is, is doing in his life, his behavior. I'm not part of that. Who is part of that? An unclean spirit or unclean spirits and demons. That's who you're inviting. Look into the next verse, verse 2. Now, when you depart from the faith, notice what it says. You are going to move into hypocrisy, and notice the next word. It's two words. The word for word, but it's that not rima word, but logos. And then we have a prefix in front of it. It's a compound word, and it's word for, for that which is false. So you're going to be walking in hypocrisy, and that you are going to be taking hold of false words, meaning this. Remember this word, logos. It speaks about that which God has put down. It is like a blueprint. It is instructions. And what happens is this. You are going to be in hypocrisy, and therefore the outcome of that is that you're going to be following false instructions. It's like uh, when people use maps, that you're trying to get to someplace, and the map that you have is in air. It doesn't accurately describe what you're going to be coming upon, what's there. It is false. So realize, when I depart from the truth, I am going to see things incorrectly. The instructions that I'm going to be receiving, what I'm going to be making my decisions upon, all of this is going to be faulty and false information. And where is that going to take you? It's going to take you where the enemy wants you to be rather than what God wants you to be. Did God want the people from the beginning to spend those 40 years in the wilderness? He did not. This was not his will for them. But because they rejected, because they departed from his ways, his truth, they spent 40 years in the wilderness in order that that generation would experience death and be no more. And it wasn't until a new generation, a new people. And that's what, what we need to see. It was a new people, not the same ones, but a new people that entered into the, the land of Israel. That were not the ones who walked in disobedience and in idolatry. So he says, when you depart from the truth, you are inviting deceiving spirits. You are going to be embracing the teachings of demons. You are going to be found in, look at verse 2, hypocrisy. You are going to be following after false word, false instructions. And notice what he says at the end of, of verse 2. He says, such people, it's in the plural, they are seared. Now what's seared? Not them, but he's going to say in a moment that that one's own conscience. Now, this is important because we see something. In 
the end of verse 2, there's an emphasis upon the conscience. Why is that important? Well, we don't see as believers Paul saying, walk in your conscience. We should have a clean conscience. But he doesn't say, walk in your conscience. He says, walk in the Spirit. But these individuals, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They never have had the Holy Spirit. Any spiritual influence that they are experiencing, it is from the, the enemy. It is from deceiving spirits. It is from demonic influence. And therefore, because of their rejection, now remember where we began in this, this, this call to worship that we've had, and that is from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 14, where it says, the word of God is in your mouth. It's in your heart. Meaning Moses, in the original context, he read them the truth of God. They were speaking. They heard. They knew the Torah. But the problem is they did not choose the instruction of God. And therefore, because of that, we see death. We see a waste of time. We see people being where God did not want them to be, be doing the things that God did not want them to be doing. This is the outcome. It's a waste. So he says here in this passage of Scripture, look again. It says that these individuals had seared. Now, the word here, we have a, a term, I believe it's a medical term, to to do something to a part of the body where you take something that's hot, like a hot iron or something, a medical tool, and you put that on it, and it burns, it sears it. And what happens? Well, that, that heat destroys the nerves, and no longer can that, those nerves feel anything. And because of that, we see something. We see that a conscience seared, it tells us that no longer does the conscience function. Originally, when God created all people, Jew and Gentile, everyone has a conscience. The conscience works. It can understand to a certain degree God's revelation. It can discern to a certain degree right and wrong. But the Holy Spirit in us, he leads us in all truth. He is the spirit of righteousness. He functions in a more superior way than the conscience. But these individuals, it says that, that their conscience were seared. Now, when you look at that word for, for being seared, there's two important things about it. First of all, it speaks of a happening that took place in the past. It's true presently, and that condition is going to go on indefinitely. Why? It's in the perfect tense. So their conscience were seared sometime in the past that's still seared, and it's going to be forever seared. The next thing we see is that it was done in the, it appears in the passive voice. That means it wasn't that they did it, but, but something acted upon them from the outside. And what is that? It was that influence of deceiving spirits and 
uh, the doctrines of demons. When one, and it all begins with what? It all begins when one departs from the truth. What a dangerous thing to do. When you depart from the truth, you're entering into a most dangerous location. That's what Paul is speaking about. And he wants the people not to compromise, not to be careless with the word of God, but remain in the truth. Don't depart from the word of God. Now look at verse verse 3. Now, verse 3, and we only have three more verses, 3, 4, and 5. And we're going to see that it speaks of things, and again, lots of times we want to interpret it based upon our experience. But what Paul is instructing Timothy is these are things that are going to characterize the last days. So we ought not look in history for, for what they're referring to, but something that's going to be. And it says here that there's going to be those who forbid marriage. Now, forbidding marriage, it, this word for forbidding can, can also be to, to exert a degree of control. When you forbid, it's because you are wanting to control the situation or you think that you have some right to control it. And what it's saying here is that this, there's going to be leaders that they're going to want to tell you who and who you cannot marry, not based upon scripture, but based upon their desire to control you. They're going to want you to ultimately submit to them, not to God's truth, but to them. That's what it's speaking about over something very basic, and that is marriage. And we see today, I'm amazed at of what I hear about congregational leaders in, in this congregation and this location and some other locations where, where people go and they have to get permission and I remember, this wasn't that long ago, where, where the leader said to this couple, you know, I want to test whether you're truly committed to each other. I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to write, text, speak on the phone, meet anything for six months. And if you will faithfully obey that no contact whatsoever for six months, then you come back, and if you can testify before God that you kept that six months of separation, then I'll marry you. Where is that from the word of God? Why, why put that, that stumbling block before someone? Why, why say something? Where, where do we get any authority? It's his authority. And that's what it's talking about here. It's speaking about a, a leadership that is going to depart from the authority of Scripture and make their own rules on who you can marry, if you should marry, and then also notice to, to abstain from food. And we have to be careful here because all too often we see poor translations. And because of these poor translations, and oftentimes it's because they have a carelessness with the Word of God and they wanted to say what they wanted to say or what they casually believe it to be referring to. And too often, translators use their own cultural lenses to, to render something into the language that they're putting the biblical text in. 
Let me translate it very literally. It talks about here about, about not welcoming, not receiving food. So they forbid marriage and they, they, they you could say, refrain from food, which God created for receiving. Now, here's the problem. Most of the time, people read this and say this. God, and we're going to deal with the verse that, that seems to be saying this, but it does not. People want this scripture to say, God has created all food to be received by us. It doesn't say that. If you read it carefully, it says this. We read that God has created, if your Bible says to be received, that's wrong. Why? To be received would be a verb. But if you check this out, this is a adjective. Very important. And secondly, it is for. We have the word ace, which is for, before this adjective. So it says for receiving. So God created food for receiving. It's not talking about all food, but the food that God created for receiving. So God has said, this is food. And if you look, for example, in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Deuteronomy, there are chapters where God says, this is food, and this isn't food. This is permissible to eat, this is not. Who's saying that? God. And today, people just, just totally ignore that. You ought not. What is the methodology of interpretation that says, well, if the Bible says tithing, we, we tithe today when the tithe was for Jerusalem. Now, we're not going to go off on that, that uh, departure into that issue. But it's very interesting that so many people will teach tithing, not against that. It's a wonderful principle. We as believers should be even more generous, more committed, more freer with our resources. But, but it's interesting that people will say, and there's one pastor in Texas who says, if you don't tithe, you're inviting demons into your life. I wonder if he would say, but that same Torah that teaches tithing, if you eat an unclean animal, you're inviting demons into your life. Do you think he would preach that message? Probably not. And what we need to see is that there has to be a consistent method for interpreting Scripture. So when you look at this, it says here, they uh, uh, forbid food, which God, and it's the God, he created for receiving and receiving it with thanksgiving. For who? For the ones who are faithful, the ones who are believers and who have knowledge of the truth. Now, here again, we see something so important. We see the term believing ones and also the term truth. Believing ones have knowledge of the truth. And what's the truth? The word of God, God's revelation, scripture. So he's telling us here that we ought not refuse food, which God has created and his word, his truth supports this, that it should be received with thanksgiving, not rejected. And today we see 
there is such an emphasis upon you can't eat this, this isn't healthy, this isn't good. What? Well, let me just tell you, our bodies are wonderfully made. And we oftentimes are so concerned, can I eat this, should I eat this, this is not good, what? If we had the same commitment, the same concern for what we should and should not be doing spiritually, how we should be ordering our life, paying attention to the Word of God, we are going to be much healthier spiritually and also physically if we would use that same commitment to the Word of God and the things of God. It says, now verse 4, because all of the creation of God is good. What does that mean? It means that everything that God has committed has a purpose. The word good means that which is accordance with his will. So everything that God has created, he has a will for that. There's something that he wants to do with that there's a purpose. Now, if you ask, for example, a, a rabbi, why did God create animals that are unclean? It's so that we can make wise decisions, that we can make decisions that testify that we belong to him. People say, why don't you do this? There's a verse of scripture that says, you know, they think it's strange that you do not carouse, that you do not run with them like the rest of the world, that you make a decision that is distinct. And you make it, why? Because of your faith. So these unclean animals, they have a purpose. It is so that we can demonstrate discernment, demonstrate our obedience to God, that we can show that we are people that submit to his instruction. So it says here, because all of the creation of God good and nothing it says here nothing should be notice what it says nothing should be rejected why with thanksgiving it shall be received so don't reject it but it says here that you should receive it with thanksgiving and then it tells us how how do we do that is he speaking about everything? Well, if the, the subject ended, meaning if this issue ended with verse 4, you could come away with that conclusion. But we notice something. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 continues. It explains. Now, how do I know it's a continuation and an explanation? Well, if you look here, we have a very important particle. The Greek word gar. Gar is usually translated for. And the use of it is this. You say something, and then this word gar in Greek identifies that there's going to be another statement that has relationship with what is just said. So we can't just end it at the end of verse 4. The thought continues. So look again. He says, because all of God's creation it's good, and nothing is, and this is a word to be, to be refused, but rather it says here, 
being received with thanksgiving. For, notice what he says, now verse 5, our last verse. For, it is sanctified. Now, this is in the passive, which means something causes it to be sanctified. What is the concept of sanctified? Sanctified is related to holiness. In fact, the word holy appears in the word sanctification. It's the process of being holy. Now, this is what many people think. That, that if I pray, it sanctifies it. We don't see that in the scripture. That's not what it's saying. Sanctification is a, a process whereby holiness, and realize, holiness is a word of purpose. When I behave holy, it's because I am behaving according to the purpose of God. When I behave unholy, it's because I am not doing the purpose of God. So when it says it is sanctified, we are going to understand its purpose. And notice what it says here. Got to read all of the texts and understand the parts of the verse and what those parts add to a proper understanding. It says, for it is sanctified through the word of God. So I realized the purpose, everything that God created is good. But, but I don't understand the purpose in, intrinsically, meaning this. I won't know the purpose, how to respond to it, what God's usefulness of that thing is, unless I know his word. So right there, it tells us everything God created has a purpose. It's good. But it's only through the revelation of his word that I can affirm the purpose. Affirming the purpose of God is sanctification. That's what it is. It's submitting to the purpose of God. So he says here, everything that God's created, it's good. It has a purpose. And it should not just be casually rejected, discarded. But rather, he tells us that it should be received with thanksgiving. Receive, welcome it. Understand that there's a purpose for it. Thank God for what he has done. And then he tells us, for that thing, what you need to do with it, the purpose of it, is, is revealed. It's sanctified by the word of God and by prayer, meaning this. It is a necessity for me to approach the word of God, its revelation, prayerfully. Meaning this, I bring myself into God's presence. Prayer is just that. Prayer is saying, God, I am inviting, I am pleading, I am desiring your revelation to be illuminated. See, prayer is just not me spouting off to God, saying what I want, what my desires are, what I want him to do. That's not, that's not prayer. You can make your supplications known to God, but a very important part of prayer is listening to God. So we encounter his word and we also want his illumination. Why? So I know how to respond to, to this thing, whatever it may be. Now, food, and I'm going to conclude with this. Food is something that we handle all the time. Three times a day, breakfast, lunch, 
and dinner. A few snacks in between and such, but food, beverage, what we drink and what we eat, constantly, ongoing throughout the day. And one of the reasons that God gives us instructions concerning the dietary laws is because that follows us through, throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, in other words, all of our lives. And these dietary laws say something. In the same way that we see in regard to marriage and, and intimacy within the marriage, there are rules. God dictates when one can be imminent, uh, Im, Im, intimate, excuse me, intimate, and when one should not. Now, we won't go into those laws and those issues, but there are times where God forbids a husband and wife coming together. We know that there's that customary time of separation, and another time is for prayer. That's what Paul says in the New Testament. But food teaches us daily, several times a day, to, to exercise and make decisions based upon God's instructions. So when we look at Kashrut, the dietary laws, they are not just there for our, our physical health. Is this good? Is this uh, healthy? By and large, the dietary laws do not speak to, to physical health, but spiritual health. It reminds me, Every time I open my mouth to take a drink or a bit of nourishment, that God makes my decisions. I submit to his instructions. I order my life based upon what he has said. And I give him thanks, and I praise him, and I pray to him, wanting his influence in my life, his counsel, so I do not depart from the truth. Why? Hope you know by now, when I depart from the truth, I'm inviting the influence of the enemy, demonic influence, unclean spirits into my life. Paul, in this first part of chapter four, lays out before Timothy some very important spiritual principles to ensure growth and spiritual safety. And remember the context, and I'll close with this. The context is this, and it will come about in the latter times, in the end times. We need to have that discernment. We need to have a testimony that God orders my life, that God makes my decisions, and I submit to them. I embrace the decisions of God. That is going to be so vital and important in the last days. Well, I'll close with that until next week when we press on in chapter 4. Until then. May God bless you. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.